welcome back to the Tax Chick Podcast. Uh, this particular episode is part two of a series. So if you're listening to this and you have not listened to the episode that I released in January on philanthropy, um, press stop and go back and listen to that first episode. I had special guest Lisa Sands on and we were just talking about how to figure out what you might want to give to the different ways to give and to sort of get your get your brain percolating on what it means to to give to a charity or to be philanthropic and it's a really great foundational uh, episode to listen to this episode is part two of the philanthropy series and i have a, a friend and colleague of mine on uh, shane shane is a financial advisor here in saskatoon and he and i have worked together with a number of clients and we, we started a bit of a discussion on philanthropy a couple of months ago because I saw that Shane was involved with a new initiative in Canada called Willpower. And so I phoned him up and we had a great chat about it and realized we needed to turn this into a podcast episode. And so we did. Uh, Shane will talk to you a little bit about, about Willpower, but we're also going to start tackling uh, philanthropic giving from sort of the advisor perspective. So we're going to chat a bit about, you know, what types of questions do you really want to be having with your advisor when it comes to charitable giving? And then what's the tax consequences of a charitable gift? And what different vehicles or different ways can you achieve a charitable gift? And there's lots of different ways that you can do this. And then, as I said, Shane will also tell us a little bit about willpower. So very quickly, a little bit about Shane. Uh, Shane has almost 25 years of financial industry experience, and he has been trusted to provide clients with investment management services with a particular focus on the complex needs of business and farm owners. And in particular, I have worked with Shane uh, with business owners who have either sold their business or in sort of the retirement phases and looking to deal with large sums. And he has just been fantastic in working with the families, both the current generation and the next generation. Uh, Shane holds the Chartered Investment Manager and Certified Financial Planner designations, and he has also successfully completed the Canadian Securities course, among other courses. And outside of Shane's professional life, he loves giving back to his local community, and he leads a very active lifestyle, regularly working out, enjoys traveling, and loves sports like golf, football, and volleyball. In fact, we talk a little bit about fantasy football. Well, Shane does. I know nothing about fantasy, but fantasy football, but he tells us a little bit about it in the podcast today. So I really hope that this is helpful and enjoyable for you. Uh, the purpose of this part of the episode is, is really just to to give you some food for thought. So if you're chatting with your advisor in the coming months, it gives you some questions to start asking and, and gives you some things to talk about as a family. Without further ado, on to the episode. Well, welcome Shane. As my guest on this particular podcast episode, I mean, you and I have worked together with some various clients over the years, and it's really cool to be having a recorded conversation with you. So welcome. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to it. So Shane, you and I uh, decided we would continue the discussion on charitable giving. And uh, earlier this year, we had another episode that came out uh, where we talked a bit about charitable giving from the perspective of the charities and, and kind of how to choose a charity and, and different ways to donate. But you and I are often involved on the other side of things where the client has come to us and, and they've perhaps made a decision. And so now they want our help and how to move the assets around to get the donation made. And so 
I know that I've worked with you before on this and, and you're very good at the way that you explain things to the clients and, and I'm hoping we can tackle that today. But but first, before we tackle that, I, I okay. have to ask you the two questions that I always ask my guests. And uh, so the first question is, what is the last podcast that you listened to or your favorite podcast? That's a good question. I, it got me thinking. I have a couple that I'm, I'm listening to right now on a sort of a daily and weekly basis. Um, you know, when I get up and walk Levi, that's my dog in the morning or when I sort of do my commutes in the morning. And the first one I'm listening to right now is it's a personal development podcast. It's called The Mindset Mentor by Rob Dial. And I honestly love this one. I, I like his style and his delivery and it, it kind of really sets me up for a, you know, have a positive focus for the day or maybe some of those odd days that I'm feeling maybe anxious or maybe I'm worried about something and, you know, I can't get those thoughts out of my head. Um, I think for all of us, sometimes when we get together with our minds, it can be a, a pretty busy place. So I'll just, I just kind of like how he, you know, really gets to think about your thoughts and your actions and just kind of how that can impact your life, be an overall better person. That's a um, new one. I have not heard of this one. I'm going to have to check this out because I'm always looking for a good personal development podcast. Yeah, I just like I just like the way he, you know, just his whole delivery. It's really kind of cool. Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. And then I have another one for fun. Uh, okay. It's a podcast because I'm a sort of a big NFL nut, so and I like <laughs> fantasy football. So I, I listen to a podcast, podcast called Fantasy Footballers. Kind of gives me my inside edge or advantage. Uh, in my pools and and uh, I just kind of like these there's three of them and they're just they're funny guys and it, it just kind of makes me laugh so that's the one I like and then and of course your podcast I, <laughs> you know I, I always I feel you, like I, people think they have to say that and that's not why I'm asking the question but I do appreciate it Shane <laughs> well I just like how you tackle some of the subjects that that you have on your podcast and really distill them down in a way that's sort of easy to understand. Um, and I also like that you have a lot of people and advisors right here in Saskatoon. So, Well, we got a good bunch here in Saskatoon, so it's uh, it's nice to be able to feature some of them. Well, this is good. I always learn about new podcasts. I don't like NFL, so I'm not trying that one, but I will try Mindset Mentor. I have my categories of fun podcasts too. Um, I'm a bit of a reality TV nut, and so yeah. I do like the ones about like 90 Day Fiance or The Bachelor, and that tends to be my fun one that I listen to, and then I've got my serious ones too. Depends on my mood for the day. <laughs> it's me too. Yeah. So the other question is and, and I don't know if you if you use emojis when you text but what would be the emoji you'd use most often when you were texting um, well I'm not the biggest emoji user but I do have a couple go-to's and that's mostly with my wife Ashley um, you know I kind of use the winky what's the winky kissy oh that's a good one. one yeah yeah okay um, and then recently I don't know if I told you this Amanda but we're we're expecting um, our first child here in March Oh, congratulations. I didn't know that. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I've sort of started slipping in the pregnant emoji. <laughs> how, how does she feel about that? Yeah. Oh, she loves it. Yeah. <laughs> well, just wait till the baby comes. Then you can get that cute little baby emoji. That one's always really cute too. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, you heard the news here. This is breaking news. This is very exciting. New addition to Shane's household coming in March. I, yep. I'm really thrilled about this. This is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, exciting. 
so on to the the topic of the day, um, which is of course charitable giving and estate planning, and and we kind of broke down the three things we thought we would talk about. Um, probably going to give a bit more time to the first two things, and and you and I were saying there's so much to discuss here, so we're going to have yeah. to really pace ourselves, um, but we're going to try. So the first topic we thought we would tackle is just you know, what does it mean to be philanthropic or, or what is this conversation actually about when you hear the word philanthropy or charitable giving and, and sort of how do you as an advisor approach this conversation with your clients? And then we'll talk a bit about some of the taxation of charitable giving and some of the gift planning vehicles that are available. And then we'll finish off uh, with a cool little initiative that's now available um, that we want to tell everyone about uh, called Willpower. Um, that you're kind of a part of. So yes. we'll talk a bit about that. So maybe without further ado, I'll stop talking uh, and we'll move to topic number one, which is this conversation around philanthropy. So I'll I'll pass it over to you. Take it away. Awesome, Amanda. Well, it seems to me like more and more advisors, you know, if I'm th- talking from the advisor perspective, perspective, they're feeling that it's important and appropriate to, to kind of raise that discussion of philanthropy with clients. And I know for me, it plays a really important part in my practice. So there's a recent study out there that has revealed that 90% of advisors say that they're discussing philanthropy with their clients, but actually only 13% of clients agree with that. That they're actually having, yeah, that they're actually (laughs) having a meaningful conversation with their advisors. So why is that? Uh, I think the discrepancy might be related to the actual depth of the conversation. You know, I think it's very basic and light in nature. You know, the advisor might just, you know, hey, you thought about, you know, giving or, you know, donating to a charity. But what clients I think really want to discuss is they want to talk about philanthropy in a way of what they're passionate about giving to. And then as well as what are the gift planning vehicles out there? Like a lot, a lot of uh, clients don't even know what type of vehicles there are. And then, you know, dig deeper, develop, you know, how do we develop a plan where we not only manage our wealth and make sure that we're looked after ourselves and as our, you know, and our families, but what, where can we make room to support the causes or charities that are near and dear to our hearts? You know, that's the thing that I think many clients want to talk about. And I know for me, it really strengthens the relationship when I can start talking to clients and have that type of conversation. Um, and so you have to get a little bit under the hood, if you know what I mean, in, in those mm-hmm. types of conversations. And so if, if, if you were a client listening to this and kind of thinking, hmm, I haven't really had this conversation with my advisor, what would you suggest that, that they do, like in terms of how to bring this up or, or what types of good questions that they should be asking? Well, that's good. And, and you know, sometimes from the client's perspective, they don't really know how to even start that conversation. And so I think the advisor needs to lead that. They have to just simply, I mean, lots of times I just, I just cut to the chase and ask them if they've ever, ever thought about philanthropy in their lives. Um, and for many, they just simply haven't thought about it beyond just, you know, being approached by some fundraiser or some sort of charity event where, you know, they're donating some cash or, or you know, opening up their credit card and, <laughs> and putting something down for a certain cause. So... Uh, and then for others, you know, they have thought about it. You know, they do have some giving values. And um, so it's trying to start that conversation and really trying 
to find out what motivates the clients for giving. Um, I find that some will give based on their heart. So they might have compassion, you know, for a particular cause or something that, or maybe something they want to give back to their local community or, or, you know, for many, it's making a positive impact in the world, whether that's internationally or, you know, local and others, you know, we've all been affected in some ways by, you know, something in our lives or maybe a loved one that's been affected and you might give to that particular uh, a cause as well. Um, and for others, they'll give because of a religious affiliation as well. So, you know, these are the kinds of conversations where you really start to understand their giving values and uh, being able to have some discovery questions that can draw them out. Um, well, and I think you've, you've raised a good point that some people have not even given thought to the issue. And, and when I've poked a bit with some of my clients, sometimes what I hear back is, well, I'm not rich. I can't afford to give to charity. Like, what could I possibly give and, and what impact could my gift have? And so I think if you're listening to this and that's where you that's where you're thinking, you know, you got to switch that way of thinking because there are many different ways to give, including of your time. Yep. And and anything makes a difference and anything can be a contribution. And sometimes you might not be able to make that contribution in lifetime, but you might be able to make it in death using one of the various vehicles that we'll kind of talk about in the next little bit. So don't close yourself off to that idea thinking you have to be, you know, a Warren Buffett to be able to to make these donations. And I think also the other thing I've run into is as I've seen couples come into my office and they don't necessarily agree on where the charitable donation needs to go because they each have their own sort of um, goals or have been touched in certain ways by, by certain things because of family members, et cetera. And so they think, well, now we just can't do a donation because we don't agree. And so I think, you know, it's important to remember that you don't have to agree. We can, we can split things up. We can do things in different ways and it's, it's okay. And then both of you can be happy. That is possible. That is an option. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. I, I've had couples too that have come in and they definitely have different thoughts about what they're going to give to. You know, maybe some might be more concerned about the environment and others might be concerned about animal welfare. So, but that no one's right or wrong. I mean, it's just trying to find out, you know, um, what your values are and where you want to direct your funds. And sometimes too, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later is if you do, I mean, it doesn't matter uh, when it comes to the donation, it doesn't matter how small or how big it is, but sometimes when you get into bigger um, donations, that's also an anxiety for some as they, mm -hmm. they, they, they maybe have a, a big donation they need to make. And then all of a sudden they're wondering, well, I don't know what, you know, causes to support you know, we can look, you know, I, I've been able to guide and direct with some of those planned giving vehicles I'll talk about mm -hmm. earlier to help them make those decisions. Well, I wonder, Shane, if this is maybe a good segue into sort of what I think will be our biggest topic of the day, which is, you know, the taxation of, of charitable giving and also the different vehicles um, that you can be used uh, to donate. So maybe we should move into that type of a discussion now, if that works for okay. you. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know where to start. I wonder, do you want to start with some of the different um, the different planning vehicles? Well, maybe maybe where we could start is you know is maybe I'll just give a quick primer on charitable giving in Canada, like maybe starting with the taxation part. 
Great. I um, love starting with tax. Yes. Yeah. I, I got your back. Go, go okay. forth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things, and you'll probably agree with me, is, is many would be surprised to learn that Canada is actually one of the most, most generous, has most generous tax incentives for charitable giving in the world. Mm-hmm. Go Canada. Um, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes people don't realize that. Um, That's right. So, um, so having said that, you know, maybe I could just walk through, and I know that it's tough on a podcast, you know, we're not using slides and you can't really see anything, but I just might start with a very simple bottom line sort of illustration on, you know, if you make a donation, what the tax savings would be. So a charitable donation first and foremost, can dramatically reduce your taxes. In some cases, it can almost it can almost reduce your taxes by almost half of the donation value. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you were to donate $100,000 as a charitable gift, it would reduce your taxes by approximately close to 50000 Now, of course, in every, diff- in every province, there's some different taxations, but just the, basically that's sort of the rule of thumb. So, Making a charitable donation is one of the simplest ways to just save taxes. Mm-hmm. Which um, is, is not always the reason why people do it. Sometimes it's a nice side benefit. It is. But that's sort of the sort of the primer, I guess, in regards to how your donation dollars would provide tax savings. Um, but that is an interesting point. You know, just to talk about that a little bit for some of the listeners out there, to explain the differences between a charity and a non-for-profit because sometimes people will also choose to give to a non-for-profit mm-hmm. um, uh, over a charity. And it's just because, or maybe they want to give to both actually, but a charity is actually a registered, is registered with the CRA and it can actually provide a charitable tax receipt. Whereas a non-profit operates for the purposes of some social benefit and they're not registered with CRA and so you cannot get a charitable tax receipt. So just like you said, Amanda, there are some people that will, um, you know, donate to non-for-profits, not because they're interested in a tax receipt. They just want to do it because it's part of their strategic philanthropy. And, you know, they might, they want to make a positive impact somewhere. Um, well, and I, I like the way you've described the tax consequence, because I think it's important to remember that. Um, when you die, and I've talked about this before um, on our podcast, but when you die immediately before your death, you're deemed to have sold everything you own. And I, I call it the biggest yard sale of your life, but it's this idea of uh, CRA wants to capture all the tax they haven't otherwise captured while you're alive. And so sometimes that can create a bit of a tax burden that otherwise wouldn't be there if you were still alive. And so this yep. concept of a charitable donation and the the potential for a credit that you can receive I mean, that works both when you've died as well as while you're alive. And so sometimes the planning moves towards what's going to happen to deal with that tax burden on death. And so the charitable gift is part of the plan. Or other times it's, well, based on the the income that we're seeing on an annual basis for you, and you want to do some philanthropic giving, well, here's a way you can do that and also reduce your tax burden right now. And so it can sometimes happen in both contexts. When I have conversations with clients that I find that, you know, it's, they have all these motivations that they'll tell me for giving and lots of them, um, because they haven't thought beyond a check or, or cash, they just, they're really not motivated that much by the tax savings at all. 
I, I agree with you. I, I yeah. find it's typically not the conversation I'm having. And then sometimes I tell them about the tax savings and they go, oh, well, that's kind of cool. That's great. Um, one of the things that that I've noticed over the years is that I have clients who come in and we're trying to work on their wills because that's usually the side I'm seeing them on. And we get all the way through the gifting process. And, and then I ask them the question of, well, what happens if you and all your immediate family that you've named here are all passing away in a common accident? I call it like the Disneyland clause, you know, we all jump on the same plane and head to head to Disneyland. And usually they say, well, I, I don't know. And that's often when we can start some discussions about charitable giving, because I say, well, if you don't put anything in your will, here's what's going to happen. Instead, would you prefer to direct it? And, and sometimes that's where I'm seeing that conversation start as well. So Amanda, low on the list, sometimes the motivations is usually tax savings. And I find that for many of my clients, it's really because it's more about education. And this was probably a good time to sort of discuss some of the gift planning vehicles. But before I do that, you know, I find that really adding this tax conversation into the discussion is so important because clients just might, they just might have a tax problem that they have to deal with. You know, there might be some pressing tax issue where maybe they sold their business or they sold some sort of property or, or like you had mentioned, death occurred and now they have this big deemed disposition. So I think too many times people don't think of philanthropy in this way where it might be helpful if they look at some of the tax credits that a donation would give. Um, um, sometimes, you know, I, I find it interesting that some people don't know they're philanthropic until they have a tax issue. So, um, and then they'll uh, give to a charity. And, and that's also because we start talking about the different planning vehicles that are out there. Um, and there's some that are really interesting. And, and I think some that are still sort of a best kept secret. Um, the most common one that everyone hears about is, some, you know, a gift of cash through right. a charitable bequest bequest and that's you know that's where you're through a will you're directing you know a specific directing some cash to a specific charity or charities and so you would designate a very specific dollar or uh, you know commonly what I've seen in wills is a percentage of net residue of the estate you know given to that charitable organization so that's one that a lot of people know about I mean you know there's it's just the most common one but one that is sort of the best kept secret still out there is, is an in-kind donation of appreciated securities. Um, Break that so, down into English. That was uh, a lot. So <laughs> you're going to have to stay with me on this one. So, so rather than giving a gift of cash or, you know, writing out that check to a charitable organization, you're instead making a charitable donation in kind if you own some publicly traded securities. And this could result in some pretty significant tax advantages if you do that. Not only will you get a donation receipt equal to the fair market value of those appreciated securities to just help reduce your taxes, but it also eliminates the taxes you would normally owe on the capital gains of those donated appreciated securities. So what is Shane talking about when he says a publicly <laughs> traded security? Well, think stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs or what they call ex exchange traded funds. These are all securities, but the securities have to be 
inside your taxable non-registered account because that's where you trigger a capital gain. They can't be inside a registered account like an RSP or a RIF account. And so when we're talking about capital gains, we'll give people a bit of a refresher on this one because I think it's been a while since I've talked about it. I mean, the concept of a capital gain is is if you've purchased shares in, I don't know, Google. I don't know if that's even what it's called. But if you purchase shares yep. in Google and you purchase them for $100 and you know two years later, they're now worth $200 uh, and you go and sell those shares and they're in a non-registered account and in the way that you've described them, well, typically you would be taxed on the difference between the $100 and the $200. That's the yep. capital gain. And you're taxed on half of that. That's the taxable capital gain. And yep. I mean, depending on where you're at, there's a certain percentage that you're going to end up paying, usually around 24% or so. But it, that's the capital gain tax that we're kind of worried about. And so when you're buying and selling securities and they're not in a registered fund, you have this little tax problem that's going to pop up that you may or may not realize. And that tax problem, if it doesn't pop up in lifetime, will very likely pop up on death. Yes. And so in, instead of having that tax problem, instead you could take those shares of Google and you could give them to a charity. And that's the that's the idea that you're suggesting. Absolutely. And most people don't know that you can eliminate the capital gain on that. Like they just exactly. don't. And, you know, right now we've got some pretty good markets and some pretty high prices on securities. I think it's one of the best times to donate mm -hmm. appreciated securities mm -hmm. to charities. Um and, uh, you know, I find too that with some older clients who you do find that the scenarios where some older clients have held stocks for decades and they've got these huge capital gains that they've accumulated, but they're terrified of selling them because of the tax implications. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's why I call this sort of the best kept secret because once they find out that the, that this is a strategy, uh, that perks their ears up a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really cool one. And I'm starting to see clients utilize it more. But it was definitely something that was a bit out there up until about a year or so ago. Yeah. And, and it, it just makes a big difference. Like I, 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 I was looking at um, some information on something that I did for a client, uh, working with a colleague out in Ontario, mind you. And um, yeah, they were looking at, you know, um, doing this strategy with $50,000 of appreciated securities. And I remember uh, working on this case. And um, so we, you know, just in your same example, they, they had these shares for a long time. And mm. the original book cost was, or what they originally purchased the shares, just for our listeners, is about $10,000. And now they wanted to donate 50,000. So mm. there was a $40,000 capital gain. So by making that in-kind donation, they were able to save about $22,000 in tax savings, but then they wiped out the capital gains on that yep. 40,000. So, and that saved them about $9,000. So all of a sudden this $50,000 donation, you know, net cost to the client was just about 19,000. So it's kind of a win-win. Well, and I think if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I wonder if any of this applies to me. I mean, this is, this is one of the questions that you want to reach out and ask your financial advisor about because they're the person that's going to have the information available as to what is the scope of your investments. So do you have non-registered investments, number one? 
And then is this something that that might be available to you? Are your investments appreciating or growing in value such that you would have a capital gain issue? These are the types of questions that you can ask your advisor and they'll know the answer based on your personal circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would highly recommend reaching out to your advisor because they're the ones that are going to be able to address those those concerns and those, answer those questions. So we talked about a cash donation. We talked about donation of securities. Are there any other vehicles that we can use for gift planning? Yeah, so a gift of life insurance. I mean, you can also name your charitable organization as a beneficiary in your life insurance policy. So there's basically two ways of doing this. I mean, you can transfer ownership to the charity of your maybe an existing policy or a new policy um, and transfer that to the charity as owner and beneficiary. And here you're going to get a tax receipt for the value of the policy when transferred to the charity. Plus, you can also ongoing get a tax receipt for the premium payments made on the policy if, for example, it's a new policy and there's premiums that will still be ongoing. I didn't know um, that. That's, yeah. that's a good piece of information. Yeah. So that's that's one way. The second way is you just might name the charitable organization as a beneficiary. And so at that case, you know, at death of the insured, there would be a tax receipt for the proceeds of the life insurance policy. Um, and and then, then as you had mentioned before, that would fall outside the estate if they're named. And so therefore you're not paying probate fees on it either. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah, and of course you're going to receive a, a, a donation receipt to, to apply, whether it's in a current tax year or maybe like you said, at, at death. Yeah. So great, great options and, and often options that people don't think about. I've had clients who've had some old life insurance policies that might have been around for, for many, many years that they really don't need anymore for their general living. And and so they think, oh, maybe I'll just get rid of it. But the premiums are so low. And to think, well, well, maybe this is one way for you to live out your dreams of philanthropy is instead of getting rid of that policy, maybe you just use it for a different purpose. Absolutely. Or sometimes there's those old policies that have been around for so long, they're, they're called paid up policies. Mm. And, and, you know, you haven't even made premiums for many years, but you know what, you know, based on your whole, you know, tax estate plan, and it might have been a policy that you got from your grandparents when you were a young kid, and it's maybe, you know, $20,000, $30,000 whole life policy. Well, maybe you could transfer that to the charity mm-hmm. and get a donation. So. Well, well, and I think when when I talk about the concept of estate planning to, to clients, I feel like clients start from the place where they assume, oh, it's just I'm going to make a will. And that's what they what they think it is. And and I always say, well, it's a little more complicated than that. And it, it usually involves the, the interaction between your advisors. And so one of the things I've been trying to, to promote through this podcast is this idea of estate planning in a broader context and that it's really planning and organizing and choosing for yourself. This is about you making choices as opposed to the government making choices for you when you pass away or, or having a mess that your family needs to, to kind of deal with when you're not here. And so we're talking about all these different vehicles and ways to donate and, and the tax consequences, but what it really goes back to is just sitting down and, and taking stock with your advisor and your your team of what do I have and what happens to all of those things when I die? What What is going to trigger a tax consequence? What is not? 
what have I named uh, as a beneficiary? Who have I named on certain things? And 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 is that where I intended that to go? What was the purpose yeah. for each of those policies? And then figuring out what debts that there might be that need to be dealt with, and if those debts are going to come due on the in the event of a death, and if so. How are we paying them? And once we figured out that we've got the family sorted out, we have the debts paid, and that no one's going to be destitute, um, then we can start talking about, okay, now we know the tax consequence. Is there any way that we can utilize some of these vehicles or some of these buckets of assets to actually do some philanthropic giving plus get a positive tax consequence? And so that's how we start looking at some of these different options. But it really starts with figuring out if we did nothing, what would happen? You know, yep. where would your assets go? What would the tax consequence be? And for a lot of people, they look at that and they say, I don't care. Uh, that's fine with me. And if that's fine with you, no worries. But if you look at that and say, I'd like to know what other ways there are, well, then I think you've provided this great summary of some of the different ways that you could go about this. And and I mean, there's there's many, many more different vehicles and ways we can move these buckets of assets around to get things done. Um, but this was a bit of a, of a snapshot of some of the options. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you, and you do, you find that with clients. I've had conversations where, I mean, really at the end, there's only three places that your money will go to. I mean, it's either to your family or, or, or a charity or, or to CRA. Yeah. So, and sometimes <laughs> I find that with clients that they will, they'll say, I don't care. The clients, you mm-hmm. know, the kids will get what they get and, and they're not, and, and it's, you know, they just don't care about CRA as that much. And then there's others that are very much concerned about CRA. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you start having this philanthropic conversation and, and really to, you know, just circling back to that conversation, it's really having a discovery with them and asking the questions like you sort of touched on is, you know, those events that will trigger philanthropy. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's quite frankly talking about estate planning, or maybe they're sometimes it's, they lost a friend and all of a sudden that triggers, well, we better start thinking about philanthropy in this way or family illness, or maybe too, sometimes they receive an inheritance. I know a story that comes to my mind is I had a farm client that had sold some farmland that had been in the family for many, well, three generations. And they were so thankful and grateful that, that they got this, all this money from the proceeds of this farm sale, that it sort of just triggered this sort of feeling of abundance and they needed to give back. And so right away they were asking, you know, once they got the proceeds is they wanted to talk about philanthropy and, you know, where they could, what charitable organizations they could give to. And it, and, you know, it wasn't really motivated by tax credits. It was more motivated about them wanting to give back. You know, that sort of goes into sort of another vehicle that I'd like to talk about. It's, and it's, it's called donor advised funds. Yeah. So donor advised funds, you know, I'll talk a little bit about not only the taxation, but how it also can tie into the whole strategic philanthropy conversation. So, you know, we just talked about the best kept secret of donating, appreciating securities. Well, if you're donating some sizable appreciable securities, some clients right away, they just don't know what charities they should support. And so in this case, you can know, you could consider a donor advised fund, which broadly defined is a charitable giving vehicle. It is initially established through an upfront donation by the donor. So the donor could be an individual or it could be a family 
And then that donation is given to an independent organization, which typically is a foundation itself or a financial institution. So while the donor advises how funds are to be distributed, which I'll talk about a little bit later, all administrative and reporting are looked after by this independent organization, which is actually a really huge bonus because they're looking after all that back-end stuff. So donor-advised funds are, are kind of a cool concept because it you can take some money or, or take other items and you can take them and put them into this fund. And then the fund is managed by someone else. You can get some of the tax benefits at the time that you put them into the fund. And then the group that's doing all the administration, all the work, they're the ones that handle how things get to the various charities and and all of that extra administrative work. But the person who's donated the funds still gets to make the decision about where the funds go. And that's that's the key about this type of a vehicle. That's correct. And that's what makes it so simple and easy to use. But on the strategic philanthropy side, which is really interesting, and this is something that is another benefit, is that I've been having more and more conversations with families uh, and regarding the next generation. And Mm -hmm. donor advised funds can be a fantastic learning opportunity for the next generation. You know, um, sometimes talking about money and clients net worth can be a tricky situation (laughs) for some clients to talk with their kids or perhaps they, you know, they have a guilt meter that's broken and they just, you know, they feel like, wow, I should be giving all this money to kids and, you know, I, I, I shouldn't look at charity. Well, you can still give a lion's share of your, your wealth to the family, but when you start looking at strategic philanthropy and you start looking at maybe a, a donor advised fund, well, now this sort of opens up the doors where you can have a, you know, a larger conversation with your family and you start teaching them sort of invaluable money management skills without the emotional baggage that might come to it. Because, you know, you, you don't want to talk about the inheritances or net worth necessarily. So it's, it just, it just sort of opens up more meaningful conversations with your kids to help them that, hey, we can put something in this donor advised fund and it can make a positive impact. And so what it ends up doing is when you keep growing this donor advised fund, it starts to become a family affair um, because you can make a donation maybe this year of 100000 and then in the next year you can add to it. You could put another 50000 and you could do that every year. Well, now you've got something that can be really used as a family and start those conversations with your kids. Thank you for providing that summary because I, I think that we're going to see a lot more of donor uh, funds in the in the future. Just I think that's where we're going um, because they do offer such flexibility. And with this huge wealth transfer that's happening uh, right now in our country, one of the things I've noticed is that oftentimes the parent generation that's passing on the wealth has kept that wealth fairly close to their chest and that it's usually self-made wealth and 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 they really haven't involved the younger generation in those kinds of discussions. And it's a little scary if that person was to just pass away and all of a sudden all of this wealth goes down, but there isn't the foundation that's been laid. And that's one of the things that excites me in my role is that 
you can start having these conversations with uh, not not only the clients, but then you can start involving the next generation. And that, that just brings the whole relationship a lot closer with everybody including the parents and their and their kids. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I think before we before we close off, I do want to talk very briefly about willpower. And so I wondered if you could give us a little summary of what willpower is and uh, where people might be using it for. Absolutely, Amanda. I'm I'm part of this cool initiative called Willpower. It's the biggest effort in Canada's history to make leaving an estate gift to charity more of a social norm. It's a national movement made up of charities financial advisors, and legal professionals across the country. And what they're trying to do is work together to show Canadians that they have the power to make a difference through their will. So I'm really kind of, you know, happy to be part of this, Amanda. Yeah. So, I mean, willpower is, I guess, is a starting point. It's a website. That's how I found out about it. I got a yeah. news blast about a website. And so, and then I saw your name on the website and, and contacted you and said, hey, Shane, this looks really cool. Can you explain it to me? And so where where I thought it was helpful is is kind of in two places. One, it it provides some basic information if you're having trouble choosing where you want to donate. Um, it kind of ties into what are your values? You know, what do you want to support? And by almost logging some of that information, it'll give you some suggestions or help give you a place to start. And then it also has a wonderful listing of advisors who all believe in charitable and giving and, and philanthropy, uh, Shane, you being one of them, and sort of gives you a bit of a place to start if you don't have an advisor in your area. So those are the two things that I saw that were kind of cool about the Willpower um, website. But I mean, that's just me looking at it from the outside. Like for me, I, I'm pretty excited about this initiative and it is, it's an effort that in Canada, they, they've been really trying to figure out how to raise the amount of gifts in wills. They want to make it a social norm. That's what they really want to do. And so how do you create resources? Like you said, and that's one, they have this, this website where you can come to, and there's a bunch of resources that you can use to understand, you know, uh, like we've been talking about gift planning vehicles. Um, so the more resources that they can provide and the more education they can provide to Canadians, then it should shift the way that they think about giving in the future. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I mean, this is one thing that you could, you could post as um, afterwards. It's a link to a cool infographic done by the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, which I'm a member. And it was really, it, it's basically a comprehensive study that was done to better understand the, the factors influencing Canadian charitable giving in wills and just how to increase those gifts in wills. So, you know, I, I, it was just kind of interesting that when you went in through the stats that it said nearly 90% of Canadians have a will by age 75. So there's, you know, people are writing wills by that age, but 86 percent of the Canadians know that they can make a charitable gift in their will, which we talked about. Like a lot of people know that that bequest is common. As you go down into finding out some of the reasons why wills have not, or gifts and wills haven't taken off as much as possible, is that you're saying that it says here that 63% of Canadians say that they're not interested in leaving a gift to a charity. And when you find out what their number one objective is, Amanda, this will be interesting. They fear a gift to charity will mean that their loved ones have less. Ah, but we believe you can do both. We believe you can do both. 
And so that's really what this willpower initiative is all about, is trying to create a vision for the future where you don't have to, it doesn't have to be, it can be both. It doesn't have to be none, you know, nothing to the charity or nothing to your kids. Like you, it, it, it can be both. And so one of the things that the statistics that the, that we've studied when we look at other countries is that some countries like the UK, they are saving way more in their wills or providing gifts in their wills than in Canada. Right now we're at 5%. So the initiative is with willpower is the goal, I should say, is to move from 5% to 8.5% of Canadians leaving a gift in the will, generating about 40 billion for the charity. Wow. So this is a campaign that's just started in Canada. It took the UK, when they started their campaign, it took them 10 years to reach 8.5% of the population leaving a gift in their wills. And now 20 years later, they're up to 17%. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. So just, you know, comparing another country. And so that's why, like I said, it's one of the biggest efforts in Canadian history right now is trying this whole willpower initiative is to just try to get Canadians to think about ways to increase their um, philanthropy. Well, and I mean, I'll post the the link to willpower on the show notes, and I'll also grab that uh, document that you're talking about there from the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, and, and post that too. Uh, and I think if you're if you're listening to this, you know, go poke around on that willpower website. It's a really great website. has lots of good foundational information. And what's kind of cool about it is it comes from a Canadian perspective, so it's not like a specific charity has put this together. Um, it is very much trying to showcase all of the options that are available to you. So poke around there a bit. And it's got some great foundational information. Well, I think uh, I looked at our time is starting to run out. We have had such a wonderful chat today about these topics. I really, really appreciate your time, Shane. This was this was a very helpful conversation. And uh, I look forward to having you back on the podcast again sometime soon. So thanks so much. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, really appreciate you having me today. Well, that is all we have time for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. I hope we gave you some food for thought or at least made you laugh. Please see the show notes for any resource material that we reference throughout the episode and to find out more about my amazing guest today. And if you'd like to learn more about any of the topics that we covered on today's podcast or about other topics relating to tax in general, I do invite you to sign up for my monthly newsletter, Musings of a Tax Chick, and follow me on Instagram. My handle is at tax.chick. If you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and also click subscribe so you make sure you never miss a new episode. Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice.